Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 120. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now, more than any other time, now is still a time to stay vigilant. But it's the summer of freedom. And it's also a time to celebrate. So here at Independent Americans, I'm going to continue to help you celebrate that summer. Just like a kid finishing school. School is out all across America. My kindergartner's last day is Friday, and he's going to celebrate. He's going to celebrate not having to wear a mask. He's going to celebrate being able to go swimming. He's going to celebrate being able to hang out with his friends. And eventually, he's going to celebrate going to Monster Jam. It's a time for all of us to celebrate and reflect and cherish and appreciate the freedom that we have. There are still serious issues out there but it's a time to celebrate in America. And we're going to do it on this show by continuing to flashback to some of my favorite episodes of all time. We're going to celebrate some of the most important, inspiring, and iconic leaders that have sat down with me for over 100 conversations. And this episode, we're flashing back to February of 2020, when I sat down with the incredible, inspiring, amazing, Rosie Perez. You know Rosie Perez, but you've never heard her like this. I sat down with her at the Classic Car Club in New York for a really fun, interesting, and inspiring conversation. It's Rosie Perez talking about champagne, boxing, politics, and life in a way that only Rosie Perez can. It's truly one of my favorite conversations we've ever had. And it brings all the five eyes from Righteous Media. Independence, information, integrity, inspiration, and impact. We've all survived one of the greatest fights of our life. The pandemic is finally winding down. And we're going to talk with Rosie about fighting. About fighting for your rights. About fighting for the future. About fighting for others. And about just fighting. Boxing. And it's a great primer for the big Fury Wilder 3 matchup happening next month in Las Vegas. Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder will clash again. Meanwhile, the NBA is down to the Final Four, and the Milwaukee Bucks are fighting it out with the Atlanta Hawks. And out west, the Phoenix Suns are bringing the heat to the L.A. Clippers. So get out and enjoy life without a mask. Get out and enjoy basketball and boxing. And get out and enjoy the summer. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope this conversation will help bring some light to complement the heat of the summer. And like every conversation we've had, you can find the video and lots of other extra content at independentamericans.us. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and please share this with your friends all summer long by the beach, at your cookouts, or at the pool. Even though it's summer and we're all celebrating, 
it's still a time to be a helper and to look for the helpers. And as always, to stay vigilant. Here it is, our conversation with Rosie Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to the Classic Car Club in Manhattan for an exceptionally special guest that I am so honored to have joining us. The great and powerful Rosie Perez is here with us today. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a tremendous honor to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm, I'm excited too. I'm a fan, so. Well, and I've been, so uh, our dear friend David Angelo put us in touch. Yes. And he is uh, an incredible guy that I hope to have on this show. He's a creative genius, the CEO of David and Goliath Advertising. But uh, you two were together in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. doing really great work. And he he was like, you got to get Rosie on the show. And I said, man, I'd be so honored. So as someone who's, who's grown up admiring your work and respecting what you do and how you do it. I just want to start by saying what an honor and a pleasure it is to have you here. Thank it, you. It, it really is a tremendous honor. And as a New Yorker. As a New Yorker. Um, and I always ask every guest, Rosie, what is their, their preferred beverage of choice? So please tell us, what is your preferred beverage of choice? Champagne. I love it. We've never <laughs> had champagne on this show before. Why champagne, Rosie? Why do you love champagne? Because you can't beat a carbonated wine, you know? It's just so good, and, and it's so dry and refreshing, and the tiny little tight bubbles, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, I hope it meets your standards. Cheers. Thank you Cheers. for joining us. Salud. Salud. I think we all need a drink after all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. But I want to start by asking you one of the biggest stories in the world that you were tweeting about, I was tweeting about, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show right now was the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was the one of the biggest heavyweight fights I can remember since I was a kid. There was so much hype, there was so much excitement, and it delivered. I mean, it was an exceptional fight, but I'm dying to hear Rosie Perez break down the fight. What'd you see? What do you think? Um, I think it was the biggest heavyweight fight of this year, but I think that the heavyweight division has been doing so much better um, with the emergence of Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Usek. We have Dylan White coming up. Um, we have... Um, Andy Ruiz, who blew it. Um, you know, so it's it's an exciting time for the heavyweight division. What made last Saturday night's fight so incredibly exciting is it was the best fighting the best. It wasn't supposed to be a padded fight. It, there was no cherry picking. It was the fe- best fighting the best for a rematch because the first one ended up in a split decision draw. And... What I saw from the very beginning, I thought that Deontay Wilder could have won if he did an early knockout, but I stated if he doesn't do that, it might go to decision again. So the way it played out shocked the hell out of me. I just couldn't believe it. And a person who suffers from mental illness, 
and I'm talking about myself, not Tyson Fury, right away, during the weigh-in, when I saw the pushing and shoving, I turned to my cousin sixth door. I said, Deontay Wilder just lost a fight. And he goes, no really? way. And I said, yes way. I said, here's the thing. Most elite athletes have sports therapists because they understand that it's a mental game. Right. It's not just about your physicality. It's not just about your ability to knock somebody out. It's about how well you can remain calm and composed under pressure. Tyson Fury suffers from severe mental illness. He's been open about it, which is, has been a wonderful thing yeah. for people around the world. Um, he did the hard work. He sought treatment. And what happened was, is that, in my opinion, because he did all that hard work, he was ready for the pressure. Yeah. And Deontay Wilder was not. You're right. And so he beat him already. Yeah. And if you saw right before they were going in, they were in each other's locker rooms, Tyson Fury was jabbing him mentally, making fun of him with his wife. Yep. When I saw Deontay Wilder too serious, too moody, too tight, leaning on his wife like that, Oh, dude, yeah. you lost. You could see it. You, you could see, see it. it. You could you see, see it. it. I, I said to the, the guys watching Fight Me, I looked over and I said, he's in Deontay's head. Mm -hmm. He's really in Deontay's head. And Deontay's not as an experienced of a boxer as Tyson is, right? Like Tyson's basically bred for this. Like, I don't know how many generations of gypsy fighters, right? right. And he also, for him, looked fit. Right. Yeah. He came in bigger. He's already six, nine, I think. So he's gigantic. I mean, he's like a dancing bear. And then Deontay came in. Now he says his legs were tired from carrying 45 pounds of that big robot outfit he came out with. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think in the last fight, Tyson outboxed him. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's been widely said that, you know, Tyson had to be lucky the entire fight. Deontay had to only be lucky once. Mm-hmm but not in this fight or the last fight. Mm -hmm. Like Tyson was picking him apart and Deontay was looking for that big blow. But once he heard him early, then it was just a matter of time. I mean, Tyson was almost playing with him at some point, right? I didn't think he was playing with him. I thought that that was tactical. Yeah. I didn't think that he was that loose. Um, I, I, I don't think that Tyson Fury took anything for granted. Not one second of the fight. In the third round, there was a back of the head punch. It was a legal punch. Yeah. Deontay's on the ground looking at Kenny Bayless like, you're not going to call that? Yeah. I think that that's why Kenny took a point away later on because right. I think he felt bad about it and he was trying to catch up. Yeah, and the headlocks, right? He's doing the headlocks, and, the headlocks. and leaning on yeah. him, and which was smart for Tyson, right? To use his weight advantage, to use his size and kind of, you know, muscle him up throughout, right. wear him down, right? Because yeah. you could tell in the last fight too that Wilder got tired. Yeah. And I, I was sitting with somebody who hadn't been watching the fighter and I said, Tyson's in better shape. And they said, how can that fat white guy be in better shape? I said, he's in better shape. He's in better. Shape. He's in better he can last. I said, if, if it goes a distance, he's going to have the advantage. Mm -hmm. And I think your point is really, really spot on, Rosie, about the mental fortitude. Mm -hmm. And I think you could really, really see it. Right. Yeah. So what do you think happens now? What do you what do you want to see next? Um, I, I heard that Deontay Wilder is already executing his rematch clause. So we probably won't see uh, Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua maybe at the end of 2020, but probably not until 2021. 
if Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder rematch does occur, we're in what month? What's February? February. <laughs> I, had to ask, I had to think about it, right? Yeah. I think that they should wait at least six to eight months for a full recovery to happen because a broken ear drum is very, very serious injury. Yeah. Back of the head is very, very serious. If we didn't learn anything from Pritchard Cologne, where he got hit in the back of the head three times, the ref didn't stop it, and he became a vegetable. Yeah. You know, for, for years. And he's now, they're saying he's now just talking. Um, you know, I think that he really needs time to recover. Mm. And if he doesn't, the same thing's going to happen again. And I just found out that he fired Mark Breland. Did he? Yeah, he did. Wow. He did. Here's huh. the thing, though. Tyson Fury started out as a street fighter, right? In street fighting, you have to adjust so quickly, so quickly. Um, and he became a boxer at the same time. Right. He didn't become a power puncher initially. He didn't become a slugger initially. He became a boxer who was formerly a street fighter. Therefore, what Hopping sees is that that means that man can take direction. So when everyone doubted that he switched uh, teams, right. I was like, I don't know, because he's smart enough to adjust, right? Um, John Snow of Trinity Boxing Gym, he's my trainer. He always says, you know, we see new prospects come in all the time. And he goes, oh, boy. He sees somebody training a couple of weeks. He goes, his trainer got to get him out of that. And I said, what do you mean? He says, every initial bad habit you develop on day one when you are training to become a champion elite level boxer if you don't break it immediately it will stay with you for the rest of your career mm. so i think that giving mark breland a little bit of credit here deontay wilder had so many opportunities to correct his fighting style way before he got to tyson right and it hasn't happened right he's approved improved this much but come on Right. You look at somebody like Linares, who's been in the fight game forever. His fight against Lomachenko, he dropped Lomachenko. First drop of Lomachenko's career. He still lost the fight. Linares' next match, he destroyed the guy because he learned. He learned quickly, and he's an aging fighter. Right, right, right. And, and, and he destroyed the young guy in the fight. So, so Rosie, you, some folks have called you the queen of boxing. For folks maybe who don't know a lot about boxing, who maybe didn't know you were this into boxing. Why do you love boxing, Rosie? I love it because it just reminds me of all the trials and tribulations that I incurred when I was younger. Life just kept delivering knockout blows. And I felt I had no chance, no other choice but to get up, that I wouldn't have a chance at life if I didn't get up, if I didn't survive those blows. And I think that that mentality is just who I am innately, but also in part that I've been watching boxing since I was four years old. And at four years old, when you're seeing champions get pummeled and then get back up, I subconsciously was living precariously through them. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And seeing that a fighter who's lost a fight or won a fight, they both cry. Mm. And it allowed me to have strength in defeat. It allowed me to say, 
okay, you can make fun of me because I'm crying because I got knocked down, but that's all right. I'm getting back up and I still might be crying, but you know what? Some of the best champions in the world will be in the ring, win, lose a draw and be brought to tears mm. because that's how intense life is. And in the ring, it epitomizes life to me. Life is intense. You know what I mean? And it's all right to cry whether you win or lose. The point is, can you come back? Can you come back? There's some fighters who get an amazing win and can't even handle that. Andy Ruiz right. against Anthony Joshua. Right. He should have been on his grind. Right. He, should. he was like, oh, well, he partied. Why did he party? Mentally, he wasn't yeah. prepared for that He wasn't win. ready for the victory, yeah. He wasn't ready for yeah. the victory. Yeah, yeah. he didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. I had a football coach who used to say, act like you've been there. And That's and right. and you could tell that, that Ruiz was enjoying himself. He was always a guy who enjoyed life, right? And he got to that point, but he couldn't sustain it. But, Rosie, this is one of the reasons I was so thrilled to have you on this show. Because this show has been about the fighting spirit and about people who overcome obstacles and about inspiration. And every guest that I've had has been an important, iconic, and or inspiring American. And you're all those things. Your entire life, your entire career, where you started out, there's a book now about your life that really shapes you know, how much you, you've gone through. You, you know, have triumphed in, in movies. You've been nominated for an Oscar. You were on The View, right? Which is a whole nother kind of fighting, but you're a fighter. And I think this is a time when Americans need fighters that they can root for, and everybody's rooting for you. And I think now what I've seen as a fan of yours you know, I remember being a kid and seeing you and in, in do the right thing and then seeing you in White Man Can't Jump and, and saying, who is that? Like, and, and there was a spirit in everything that you did that was about toughness and was about triumph and was like that boxing spirit. Now you're training others, right? Like now that the student has become the master and you've become a voice for so many other men and women around this country and especially at this moment in time. So I want to be thoughtful in how I ask you about this, but what is your message now the Weinstein verdict is in, um, you know, everybody is, is eyes on that movement and that result. And there's so much left to do. But what, what is your, your thoughts and, and your message right now at this moment in time, which is so historic? That was a beautiful segue, by the way. <laughs> that was you. really good. Um, I didn't expect that. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, I'm not at liberty to discuss the case yet because there will be an appeal. Um, but I can tell you how I felt, um, when the verdict came in, it was actually, to be honest, bittersweet, um, because of the, te uh, uh, the technicality of if you did this, you couldn't get this, you know, it really bothered me that they couldn't go for the, uh, predatory, uh, count. Right. Um, because I think if that occurred, the 90 plus women that came forward, that would have been a win for a specific win for them. Still in that said, it was still a win for all because they still got them, you know, yeah. and everyone was telling me he's going to get off. Everyone. Everyone except the DA. Mm except the DA. She kept saying, let's wait. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. And she said, you're a fight fan? And I went, <laughs> yeah. And she goes, all right, it's 12 rounds. 
Let's wait and see. And, uh, you know, but still, it's, it's a victory. It's a game changer. Um, you know, I saw Gloria Aura on uh, CBS this morning. And she said, this case is such a landmark case. I'm paraphrasing um, here. But she said, it is going to put every predator who has done something already on notice and put fear in their heart and every potential predator to think twice because you bring someone down like a mogul of Weinstein's level, anybody could be brought down. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a big thing. And I really appreciated that Cy Vance said, I know there's controversy around him and whether it's warranted or not, I'm just talking about his post verdict comments when he said rape is rape no matter if occurred today yesterday or 20 years ago rape is rape Mm. so it was a historic day Mm. for the world for the world and your leadership was pivotal in making it happen and your courage i think and so many the courage of so many other people that that fought and fought not just for themselves but for those to come so what rosie do you hope happens now or what do you want to happen now bigger than just this trial but in america this this watershed moment where the backdrop to this week the boy scouts of america is declaring bankruptcy because there was so much abuse for so long and now those cases are are, are, are piling up and the the powerful are starting to be I don't know if even held accountable is is appropriate enough. There's starting to be a shift, right? Whether it's a massive institution like the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts of America or a mogul like Harvey Weinstein. But for folks who are still in the grind, Hmm. maybe they're they're in a trial, maybe they're even being abused. Like, what's the future? What can the future look like? And, And what do you want to tell them about? this moment, but also your personal experience, having gone through so much yourself and, and ended up in the place you're at. I think that I don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, but I think that when you look at a TV show like Mad Men and you say, oh my God, that was men behaving badly. You know, and I remember I heard comments about that show where people would say, well, women are behaving badly too. And I go, do you know what statutory rape means? Do you know that if a CO in a prison has consensual sex with an inmate, it's not considered consensual. Right. It's considered statutory rape. Why? Because that CO is in a power position. So even if that inmate was, it was consensual, why? Why was it consensual? What was the motives behind that? Was there intimidation? Was there manipulation? What, 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 what happened? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing that with, when they tried to criticize the women, well, they went back to work for him. He's the most powerful man in the movie industry. What else were they supposed to do? Right. Just like the secretaries on MedMen. What else are they supposed to do? Right. right. So I hope that that shift, the way it shifted from Mad Men to what it is present day it still needs to go much, much, much further. But where I would love to concentrate the shift on is parenting mm. and schooling. Mm. Because why do young boys feel that they can 
act out their rage against women or against boys. Right. Or women. There's women who sexually molest young boys. Why is that? Why do you feel that you can do that? You know, and there had to be some type of abuse or neglect that occurred with that individual as a child. Maybe Harvey Weinstein got coddled too much. Maybe Harvey Weinstein didn't get coddled enough. Maybe his parents never checked him. Mm. Maybe everybody in his environment never checked him. But it has to start from day one. You know what I mean? I I know parents now who are telling me, you know, I, I sat my boy down and I told him about the Weinstein case and I told him it's not right to do this. It's wrong. And you could go to jail. I go, mm. how old is your son? Mm. 13. This is the first time you're having that talk right. with him? Right, right, right. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Where yep. they think it was cute when a boy who likes a girl doesn't know how to articulate their feelings, so they punch the girl in the arm. Right. Oh, that's okay. He just likes her. No. No, he doesn't know how to articulate his feelings and he's getting angry and there's an act of violence that comes into play. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that there's a huge shift in how we raise our kids, how we socialize our kids and how we tell them what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's a clear, clear defining line. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise there will be a shift just like there was a shift, you know, with Mad Men, but shit still occurred. Right. right. Excuse my French. No. You know what I'm saying? This, so- is, this is podcasting. You can speak as much French as you want. Okay. This is, and and thank you for that. It's it's very powerful. And your point, I think, is so important. I have two young boys, right? And I think constantly, and my wife and I and our whole family think constantly about how to raise our boys well and how to raise them with empathy and understanding and thoughtfulness and a, and a sense of responsibility in the world they're operating in. Um, and I, I met Harvey Weinstein. I was in rooms with Harvey Weinstein. I had no idea about all of this, but I told my wife in the first time I met him, that guy's a fucking asshole. Oh, right. That guy's an asshole. The way he treated me, the way he treated other people, he was an asshole. And, and I was in professional settings. I knew who he was. He was definitely a powerful man. There was an aura around him mm-hmm. of people who feared or respected his power, right? It's like the Bronx tale scene, right? Do you want to be feared or respected, right? Like he had this weird mix of mostly fear, but mm-hmm. it morphed into so many things. And I just always remember from the first moment I met him and every exchange I ever had, he was rude. He wasn't, he didn't look me in the eye and he felt like, like a really bad person. That's my gut, right? Growing up and being in the environments I've been, I could tell that. I had no idea about the rest of it, but I think your point about how we raise our children is so important and so timely. And I, and I got to ask you, Rosie, because you're involved in so many causes that are a conscience. You've been an advocate on mental health. You've been an advocate for Puerto Rico. You've been an advocate uh, for people with HIV and, and AIDS. We're also operating in an environment with Trump as president. So how do you view that? And, and what are your thoughts on, we, you know, Weinstein's going to jail, but Trump is still out there every day being a misogynist and being a bully and being an asshole. Um, what are your thoughts on him in this context and this moment in time? Your show's not long enough. <laughs> we, got as long to- as you, we got as long as you need. You <laughs> need to comment. Um, 
First, I want to say this. I don't want to be in the habit. I hope I have never been in the habit of of blaming, shaming, ridiculing anyone who has voted for him. Anyone who has voted for Trump. I don't want to be in that business. My fight is not with them. It really is not. My fight is with that man and all his enablers that are around him. Cy Vance in his post-verdict press conference said that very thing. He had people that worked for him, Weinstein. He had publicists. He had producers. He had financiers who enabled that type of behavior. And that's why, in large part, he got away with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And nothing's going to happen to that man who's in the White House until his enablers stop. It's not going to happen. It's either that or people vote him out of office. Mm. And we saw during the impeachment, his enablers are not budging. They are not budging. And it baffles my mind when they say they're good, honest Christians. And you're like, what? Are you kidding? Just like when they said with Bill Cosby, all those women can't be lying. Mm. With Weinstein, 90 plus women can't be lying. And those are the only ones that came forward. Mm -hmm. So all the women that accused this man, they're lying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the thing is, even though he got nailed to the wall, at least he admitted it, Bill Clinton. Right. At least he admitted it because he is not perfect either. So, Rosie, when you look at the landscape um, of the candidates, you've been very politically outspoken. You're really involved. People are looking to you for leadership. We've got... uh, another debate we've got super tuesday coming up the new york primary is may Mm -hmm. matter right coming Mm -hmm. soon here um what do you think of the candidates when you look at them i don't know if you've supported a candidate or if you plan to but what do you think of of them and if this is a fight right Mm -hmm. somebody's going in the ring against trump you're an expert on evaluating fighters who do you think is the best fighter which fighter are you rooting for and which fighter would you put in the ring against trump I don't have a pick. Mm. I do not have a pick. You know, I, and that troubles me. And I'm just yeah. going to be honest. Yeah, please. Yeah. It, it troubles me because I'm Puerto Rican. I listen to Latinos across America. Just because Sanders is doing well in one state, that doesn't mean he's doing well in all. And his 60 Minutes interview where he was trying to do a balancing act in regards to his praise and disdain for Fidel Castro, I was sitting there cringing. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then he did the same with Israel and Palestine. And you can say, well, I agree with him. Okay, you agree with him. Does the rest of America agree with him? Right. This is a, this is a fight. This is politics. And not everybody's for your fighter. How are you going to win? What is your game plan? What is your strategy? And for me, so far, nobody has a clear-cut 
game plan to beat Donald Trump. Mm. And that's worrisome to me because there are Democrats out there that are afraid of a so-called socialist agenda, specifically Latin people. We're not just talking about Cubans. Yeah. We're talking about Latin people that have come here from Mexico, Central America, South America, who have lived amongst dictators or socialism, and they've come to this country to get away with that, uh, from that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you say, well, Trump is a socialist in, in a corporate sense, and he's a dictator too, and da, da, da. But people are more comfortable with the evil they know than the evil that they don't know. Right. Right, right. I they think don't. You're... They don't know what Sanders is about yet, so it's troubling. Mike Bloomberg. He may have another shot to redeem himself. He had an abysmal performance on the last debate. My husband and I were like, "Oh man," yeah. you know. Yeah. And then people tell me, "Aren't you still angry at him? Aren't you still angry at him? What he did with stop and frisk?" I go, "Yeah." And they said, but you were rooting for him? I said, I'm rooting for anyone that could beat Trump. Right. That's how disgusting and desperate it has become. That's where this man has brought this country. We are willing to choose the lesser of two evils in order to get this man out of office. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm glad to hear you break it down that way, Rosie, because in the last couple of days alone... I've been talking to friends in New York and talking to friends around the country and many of my Latin friends, especially those who've lived in places that have been socialist are very, I see the concern and I hear the concern and it comes from experience, right? I think in this country too often we write off experience. There are people who've experienced socialism, who've lived under socialism, who have been in Venezuela, who've been in other places and, and seen what this looks like. But I really also appreciate your pra your practicality, right? Like if you're in the corner, you want to put a fighter in the ring who can win. And and I have been very critical of Sanders from that very basic point that I don't think he can win. And I've seen it. You can't deny it that people are not excited about Sanders. Like there are some people who are. The diehards are there. There are people who are always going to root for, for Andy Ruiz, right? But would you pick Andy Ruiz? to go back in the ring against Tyson? No, you're not going to put money on it. And I think at this point, we got to figure out who we can put in the ring and put money on and who can win. And I don't know either. I mean, Bloomberg is, is so fascinating to me because he's got guns. He's got firepower. And even if he's not the guy, he can decide where he gives that firepower, right? And, and I think it's entirely possible that they go to a broker convention and that Bloomberg's in a room with all of them. And he says, look, you pick Sanders, you don't get my money. You pick anybody other than Sanders, you get all my money. Mm. And that's how it could go down, right? He may not be the candidate, but he may be the X factor. And that's what I see is this is a this is a knife fight. It's a gunfight. It's a war. We could call it Game of Thrones, everything else. I keep saying that Bloomberg's like a dragon in Game of Thrones. You may not love dragons, but do you want the other guy to have them? Hell no. Right. So I really appreciate you breaking it down that way. What, what You were on The View. Right. For so long, mixing it up every day. We had Megan McCain on here a couple weeks ago. We'd love to get the other folks who've been on The View. Um, what did you learn about politics? I feel like you really learned how to break it down and you learned to have an ear for what people think and, and feel. But reflecting on that time where you were mixing it up every day, what, what did it teach you, Rosie? 
I'm not at liberty to talk about that show. Okay. My apologies. I will say this. Certain experiences that I've had in my career have taught me something that you learn on stage and something that you learn in the fight game. Never play to the crowd. Mm. Never worry about the crowd. Because mm. it'll mess you up every single time. You have to stand firm in your convictions because if not, you get eaten alive. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Because you see, you see a amateur contender, you know, going up the ranks and they're doing well and they get caught up in that praise. And then they look, their eyeball just goes like this for a millisecond. And you see the dimple coming in with the smile and boom, they get caught. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's the same thing with theater. If you're worried about, and you're on stage, if you're worried about if the crowd likes you or not, if they're doing a good job or not, you could feel it. Yeah. You got, you could feel it, but calm and composed always wins the fight, right? Mm, yeah. You gotta, yeah. you gotta fake that. Yeah. You gotta fake that shit. You gotta put your best game face and take the punch without a flinching even a millisecond. Yep. You know, and just keep going. Yeah. Do your job. Yeah. Do your job. That's what I learned from a particular job that I had um, that was non-acting job. Got but, uh, you know, may I say this about Megan McCain? And it's going to be very controversial. Please. I don't watch the show. What I have, the bits that I have watched, she's very combative, contentious, um, cunning, emotional. I don't agree with all the things that she says. I don't agree with her stance. I think she could be very mean at times. That said, I think that the hate that she's received is so ugly. It's troubling to me. Yeah. And when I went on the show recently to promote Birds of Prey and she asked me about the Harvey Weinstein trial. She got so much hate for that. Yeah. She was doing her job. Nobody else wanted to ask me. Mm. And maybe that was being very respectful on the other co-host's part. Yeah. But she wasn't paying attention to the crowd. She didn't care. Right. right. She wanted to ask that question. And I think that the way she asked it, and I said this when we went off camera, when we were leaving, I said, thank you for being so considerate in the way you asked that question. I wish you had not, but I thank you for being for so respectful. Mm. And mm. she went, thank you. And she shared her opinion about it, which I don't want to share. That's sure, her words, sure, you know, sure. but we shared it privately off camera. And I saw the other people the cast and crew and producers looking like, oh my God. And they didn't know what to say with me when I walked away. Cause mm. I think that they wanted me to attack her or, or throw her some shade or all that yep. stuff. No, no. It's just like a prize fight. You know, yeah. it, it's about class because at the end of a prize fight, what do you say to the, your opponent that lost? Or what do you say to your opponent that won? I want to thank them for the opportunity. They're a good person. They put up the best fight possible and I wish them well. Mm. That's how you leave the ring. Mm. You know? And so I felt that and I just, 
I saw a very, very sensitive, overly sensitive person mm. who believed so strongly in her beliefs. But I think your 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 point is so important right now because I've wanted this show and the community around it to be one where we show respect. And when you come into the ring, you, you, you show respect and you honor the game and you honor the history and you honor the bigger picture, right? And, and you have always been a class act that raises the bar, despite what's coming at you, despite when you've been wrong, despite when people haven't treated you with the same respect, you have continued to raise the bar. And that, that's what we need more of right now. You're right about Megan. She, the, the fury she gets, I've had a lot of different folks on the show and I've said it before, Chris Cuomo was on this show. He gets a certain nasty type of attacks because he's on CNN and Trump fires it at him. Uh, Rachel Maddow gets some hate. She was on this show, but it's different. And it's not nothing that I've seen as is, is as nasty or intense as the hate for Megan. Mm -hmm. And um, she's been very open about her pain. And some of me feels like people see that and they they go for it. Right. Especially the weaker people that want to take advantage of someone else's pain or or just sadness. And she's been very open about her, the loss of her father and what she's been going through. So there's a meanness to it that is in this environment that I hope we can counter. And I think you've been countering that most of all through your example, even to hear the way you approach that is going to be refreshing for people. Because I want this show to be a place where people of all political backgrounds can come together around ideas. Um, well, thank you. That, but just just for the record. Yeah. It took work. Yeah. I bet it, it took did. a lot of work for me to get to this place of maturity, which I don't think I'm fully mature <laughs> yet. Um, for instance, when I went against Giuliani, when he tried to cut DOS, direct aid service, the only yeah. city service at that time for AIDS patients. And I was so angry. He was supposed to show up at the walkathon in New York. I thought I said hell, but they said, no, you said fuck. And I said, oh, okay. That was one of my PTSD blanking outrage moments where I got up in front of a massive crowd of hundreds and thousands of people on a mic at a podium in Central Park, AIDS Walkathon Day, all cameras there. And he was supposed to show up mm. as a gesture of good faith after that ugly fight we had with him right. about cutting DOS and he didn't show up. They said he's not coming. And it, it for him to come, it was a victory for us. Right. For the people in the fight, for the people who were living with HIV and AIDS and he didn't show up. And so many people were hurt. Mm. It was a bad, bad message he was sending. Like, mm. I don't give a shit. Mm. And I was young and I was fiery and I was immature and a friend of mine just passed away from AIDS, so it was highly emotional. And I got up on the mic and I said, and where the fuck is Giuliani? Oh, scandal. Oh, my gosh. I was asked that, to leave immediately. I was banned yeah. from the park. You that's, know what I mean? Like, they banned you from the park? They banned me from the park. <laughs> really? Yeah. How, and, how do you ban Rosie Perez from a park in New York? I don't know. York? They were like, that, you that, cannot. That, you're you're that, banned. That, yeah. and, and I didn't go back to the walkathon until like maybe 15, 20 years later. Wow. And um, when, they, when they invited me back. And I want to be honest. I was humbled. I was humbled. I didn't blame the gay men's health crisis. They had to, that's politics. Right. Right. They had to do what they had to do. 
You know what I mean? They're like, sorry, Rose. We love you, but yeah. But you know what? Like, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, have your back. And people get too twisted up about, you know, your word choice. As a guy who loves an f bomb, okay, and you know, drops the word fuck as often as I need to, in part sometimes because it's effective right. in communicating the the emotion that you have. You know, I have no time for people worrying about whether or not you said fuck or shit when people are dying from AIDS, right? When so many people are dying, when people have criticized me for my word choice around suicide, when we're losing 20 veterans a day, 20 of our friends are dying every day, and I'm not going to quibble around my word choice, right? We have to focus on the bigger picture. And I think that, you know, I, I appreciate you talking about your the evolution of how you've you, you've thought about these things, but I want to ask you, Rosie, a question I ask of, of all our guests that is really a theme of, of this show. Rosie Perez, what makes you angry? Injustice infuriates me. Hmm. Incompetence. Hmm. People who waste time, waste my time. But I would say injustice. Mm. That's a trigger. That's a trigger for me. And it comes directly from the unjust childhood that I had to endure. I don't want anyone to endure what I had to endure. And I know there are folks out there that endured far much worse than I did. And if I could do anything in my power... To prevent that from happening to any child in the world, I'm going to do what I got to do. And sometimes I get exhausted by the fight. And I have to remind myself of who I was when I was a kid and all those other kids in the home. We were exhausted just by existing. Mm. You know, and so I sometimes take some time off and then get back in, Mm. you know, and you know, but it's not easy. Mm. You know, mm. keeping the fight going, it is not easy. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's really, and I, I've learned from from so many people and, you know, your example and your words, like learning to take a pause. I When I first started out in the activism world, I was so full of fire and I was so full of energy. And the older guys, mostly guys, and some guys will pull me on the side and say, dude, this is a long fight. Like you got to, you got to burn that candle at the right level. And you know, this is going to take decades. And I, in my mind, I didn't even know what that meant. I was in my twenties. I didn't have kids yet. I was just fucking going at it. And my friends were, 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 were wounded. And I felt that sense of injustice and a sense of righteous outrage. But now I find myself telling the others, you got to throttle it back. Sometimes you have to pause to see the landscape more clearly because you are hot and it blurs your vision and taking that rest or taking that pause can be um, that clarifier, right? Slowing down to go faster, I think is, is necessary, especially in the activism game because it's so personal. And I, that's part of why I admire you so much. You've been so forthcoming with your story and a a very dear mentor of mine who um, was a Medal of Honor recipient used to tell me, just remember every time a Medal of Honor recipient tells their story, they're ripping it out of their inside and they're sharing mm-hmm. it with you. And it hurts. Oh, it hurts yes. every oh, wow. time. Yes. And that yes. is a sacrifice. Yeah. But leadership is about sacrifice. And you've made that sacrifice over and over again, Rosie. And I've seen it. And so many of us have seen it. And, you know, anytime you're feeling that tiredness, 
you know, give us a holler. We'll, we'll put some more wind at your back, but you have really seated so many activists and so many people in the creative arts and so many places. You've been a great multi-sport athlete, right? You've done so many different things and, and that positivity continues to come through. So I want to thank you for that. And then you mentioned growing up, which you've written about at length in your book and been so honest and, and candid about, but I want to ask you the other question that I ask of all our guests, Rosie Perez, what was your first car? A Datsun B210. Really? Yeah, because I, I bought it off this cokehead in college. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us the story? I won't say her name, but it was this very privileged girl and had a lot, family had a lot of money, and she was such a cokehead and everything, and... She had she was angry that her family wouldn't buy her a nice car that she had the Datsun B210 and, and her brother had a BMW. She was so angry. And I was like, well, why, why, why won't they get you a BMW? And she says, I don't know. And I go, oh, OK, maybe it's because you're a fucking cokehead. And she's like, Rose, how dare you? And I go, I'm just saying, if I was your parent, I wouldn't give you the money because you might crash the shit. Wouldn't you believe a couple of weeks later? She discovers, you know, firing it up, cooking it up and uh-huh. inhaling it. You know, she discovers crack. And she comes to school. And she's doing the, the pipe. It's not funny, but it's funny. She's doing the pipe. Something goes whoosh. And the, the, the um, upholstery on inside the car goes on fire. Her hair goes on fire. Her and her friend jump out of the car, right? Someone, because it's on the school grounds, grabs a fire extinguisher, extinguishes the car out, but it's charred and it's burnt. And and she's she came to me. She was such a crackhead. And she came to me and she goes, I need some money. I said, to fix your car? She goes, no, to sell it. We, you you want to buy it? I said, what? And she goes, Give me a thousand dollars. I said, for this pizza shit? And she goes, okay, 500. I said, no. And she goes, okay, 300. I said, I'm going to give you $200 for that piece of shit. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And she took it. Wow. So that was my first call. Wow. Pink slip and all. What, do you know what year it was? And what, what color, do you remember what color it was? I don't remember what year it was, but it was this ugly orangey color. It was so ugly. And my friend, my college friend, Joe Lopez, helped me rip out all the burnt um, upholstery in it. And like uh, the two front seats were kind of half burnt, but I had no money <laughs> to get the <laughs> seats replaced. And it, was this in California? Is that where you were going to school? Because yeah. I was going to college for biochemistry out there. I drove that thing around and I had to learn. I didn't know how to drive yet. I was a New Yorker. Wow. So I had to learn how to drive. I backed up um, traffic on La Brea. People were honking. I'm having an anxiety attack, like crying, going, oh, my God, because it was a stick shift. And, um, you know, Joe Lopez is in the passenger seat. He goes, you're grinding the gears. I go, what does that mean? You know. Is this, and this is before you, the legendary moment where you meet Spike Lee in a club and before. he finds you and discovers you, yeah. right? Yeah. This is before that. That was before that. The night you went to the club and, and Spike Lee met you and you met him, did you drive that car to the club? No, I had a different car. 
you, you, the, 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 that might be the best car story we've had, Rosie. <laughs> and we've had some good ones. Like the guys in the crew are nodding their head, waving. Mercy's throwing her hands up in the air because that is like maybe the greatest car story we've ever had. Uh, there's so many reasons why you're a, you're a badass, Rosie. And and this run you're on now with new projects, Birds of Prey. And I watched the, the Netflix show last night, um, The Last Thing He Wanted. Yeah. Right? Which I thought was so smart and quick. And you, again, you, you're playing these uh, roles that are different kinds of badasses, different kinds of heroes. And I see that through line. But... Um, you know, this film has got Anne Hathaway and it's got uh, Ben Affleck and it's got Willem Dafoe, who I just think is a legend, but in this very interesting part. And you, and it gets into the Contras and Nicaragua and the 80s and Reagan, which was a time you were alive for and around for. Um, did you? Can you set the context for that film? And also, you know, doing that kind of a film at the same time you're doing Birds of Prey very different lines of kind of heroism, but also important in how they cross over, right? You got Birds of Prey, which is going to be so widely seen. And then this Netflix scene, film that I think is important in helping people understand that moment in time politically, hmm. right? In the 80s with Reagan running for re-election. Can you talk about those two works and, and, and what that has um, brought out of you? Um, well, the last thing you wanted is is an adaptation of Joan Didion's uh, book um, uh, about the I Iran Contra scam, the Sandinistas, the Contras, um, where there were illegal arms sales um, and the Reagan administration was behind it. And it was uncovered. If people look up Reagan, Iran Contra scam, Oliver North, they will come to really understand that story. And I think that the reason why history continues to repeat itself is because people don't know the history. Right. Right. So, um, I, I really loved doing the last thing he wanted. I played a, I, I played a photojournalist who the backstory with her is that she's Latin. She's way more qualified than most of the people in the office. Um, but, and understands why she got passed over so she has a different calmness than Anne Cath Hathaway's character. Right. You know, it's like, this is how it goes, baby. Mm. You know, why are you exhausting yourself? Take advantage of, of what you perceive as an injustice or a defeat. You know, um, so bringing that quiet confidence um, was a challenge and a thrill for me to play. Um, sometimes it gets a little convoluted, I will be honest, the movie, but... If you're a political junkie, you're going to really appreciate oh, it. I ate it up, and I yeah. thought it was great. And, and the character you play is a combat photographer, right? In a yeah. time when I don't know how common it was for uh, women to be combat photographers and, and for Latin women to be combat photographers, I don't know. But it was it, it felt like uh, a, a, an important film in about an important time and a time that is a lesson in, in shaping this context, even the run-up with Reagan, mm -hmm. right? Seeing what what republicanism was like then yeah. versus what it is now. Yeah. I thought, and I think the cast is awesome. I really thought the cast was fantastic and it has a motion to it. That's really exciting. And an ending that I didn't expect, I'll tell you, but, yeah. but you are, you know, a, a heroine and a hero in that, in that role, which it feels like your, your experience is coming full circle. Now and you're in these parts that are badass and experienced and, and seasoned and teaching 
Like every every character is kind of a teachable moment now. Well, I think the badassness in in Alma's character, the character I play in The Last Thing You Wanted, is that she doesn't get tripped up by her emotions. Is that she keeps going. The scene where she's alone in the in the uh, news office by herself typing away. She's going to get the story out. Um, I think it was a powerful moment and a powerful statement. Um, you know, when no one's watching, what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When no one's watching, when all the lights are off and everyone's gone, what are you going to do? Yeah. When, you know? I, when I was taught integrity in the army, they used to always say integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought the cast was stellar as, as well. Um, you know, uh, Willem Dafoe, scene stealer, Eddie Kathegi, the uh, French consulate operative. He's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, Anne, emotional performance, the person that played her daughter I the could kid go is on great and on. Yeah. yeah 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 on and on it was just really great um you know and in birds of prey there's a job that nobody wanted me for you know they thought I was you know too old and couldn't keep up with the physicality of the other women and I walked into Warner Brothers next day they said you got it <laughs> you know because I just said to myself the part's already mine yeah. It's already mine. You have to, it's, 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 it's like that belief system that Ali had, the belief system that Mayweather had. You, you have to believe. Tyson Fury has it. Yeah. Uh, Lennox Lewis had it. Right. Um, I could go on and on. No matter how afraid you are at the task at hand, taking on the task at hand, you still have to have an element of belief that you're still going to be able to do it mm. and win. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's managing the fear because the fear is not going to go away. That's the mistake people make, right. you know, and the fear is there to help you. You could, you can make it an asset or you can make it, you know, not an asset. So, um, my heart was pounding when I went into that office at Warner Brothers it was pounding, but I was so pissed off. How dare you? You don't know what my regiment is in regards to keeping my body, you know, up to paw, you know? And then the thing is, is that sometimes life just slaps you back when you think you got yeah. a victory. First day of training, tore my meniscus disc in my, yes, in my right knee and then bruised, which means the tissue just got, got damaged yeah. in the left. First day of training. Ooh. And... I said to myself, I guess that's it. And the fight production team, 8711, who's done Dead Pill, John Wick, I mean, everything, yeah, you know, yeah. Atomic Blonde. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Everything. All those intense action films, yeah. They were so calm and they go, no, no, no. Um, here, go to see the side nine. <laughs> Let me get an MRI. Tell us what the MRI says and let's proceed there. Let's let's just all just calm down and take a deep breath. And I went, Okay. Went to see the side and I, I went, oh my God, I'm done for. And then I tell them and they're like, oh, we'll work with that. And I go, no, he said it's a severe tear. They go, yeah, 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 that's okay. You know what PRP is? And I go, yeah. And they go, get some shots. I go, really? And they're like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I said, but how am I going to do the fighting scenes? You're not. You're going to watch us. 
and we're going to build you up. We're going to do a uh, physio with you, physical therapy wow. for the first three weeks. And then we'll take it from there. They should do a film about you in the film. This whole backstory, <laughs> like the bionic Rosie Perez oh, rocking. Sorry. That's all right. Rocking through this um, when you're, when you're, when you're, I mean, it, 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 this is just, it's so interesting to hear you take us through this, the fighting spirit and the tenacity and the ferocity and, and the resilience is, is this is why I was one, one reason I was so happy to have you join us on the show, Rosie. And we've talked a lot about, how this show is also about turning your righteous anger into positive impact, right. channeling that energy into something that can, can make a difference. So the, the last question I ask of all our guests that I want to ask you, Rosie Perez, what makes you happy? Oh, um, what makes me happy is my home life. Hands down. Um, my husband, my cats, my dogs, God rest their souls, my family, um, my small group of friends that come on over, um, the gift that I'm in a position in my life where I can entertain, you know? Yeah. I used to dream about that, you know, that, uh, uh dark chocolate. <laughs> dark chocolate. Dark chocolate uh, makes me ecstatic. Uh, if I'm in a bad you mood and, and you wife. offer me dark chocolate, <laughs> bang, yeah. it's, it's turned right yeah. around. I think that, Security makes me happy. Mm. Knowing that not only that I have love, but I can give love, that I can love mm. in a healthy way makes me really happy. Mm. So that all epitomizes home life because I know this sounds really strange and I hope your listeners don't think it's pompous because I'm not a pompous person at all. Yeah. But when I was a child, I knew I was going to do something important in the world. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was going to be the female Jacques Cousteau, yeah. the famous marine biologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was stupid because I'm Puerto Rican and I don't like to get my hair wet. And um, <laughs> But at the time, you know, I was fine with it. That was um, your dream. That was my dream. Yeah. But I real realized later in life that it could have been anything. It could have been marine biology, but it was the reason why marine biology meant something to me is because I was contributing to the world to make it a better place mm -hmm. that I wanted to clean up the oceans. I wanted to clean up the lakes. I wanted to clean up and have healthy drinking water for poor people. So it was it was that mindset that I always had as a kid, mm -hmm. always had. But I didn't know where it was going going okay and that said what I wanted life to give back to me was security that's all I wanted mm. I didn't want fame I didn't want I wanted money yeah. you know what I'm saying but I would be okay if I did, wasn't a multimillionaire. You know what I mean? What I wanted, what I dreamed of was having a house of my own and I didn't have to worry about the bills. Mm. That was my motivation in life and that I had a happy home life inside that foundation. Mm. You know, that's, that's all that mattered to me and it's the one thing that matters to me still. And it's the, if that's not in place... 
I am not a nice person to be around. <laughs> I am such an asshole. You have absolutely no idea how big of an asshole I could be. I'm just being honest. I've, you're always being honest. That's, that's why that's why the world loves you, bro. And, and you still, I've read a lot about how you, you know, you, you grew up in the dancing industry, right? Like you still dance and that brings you happiness. Like brings I th- me happiness. Yeah. Inside my home. Yeah. Well, I, I well, I don't know if you know these two guys, Stretch, DJ Stretch, sure. Armstrong, and, yeah. and Bobito Garcia. I grew up in New York, of course. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. They're the only clubs that I'll, I'll go to nowadays. I'll only go to their club. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's no pressure. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I used to go to Tony Touch, but it's just too much pressure because there's like too many like... Youngsters. Now you can have a club in your own house. You've got now, that. You can I do entertain, have my own right? Club. What? Yeah. You got to see it. You yeah. See my, it. That, we've tried to do dance party every day in my house with my kids because it's just the purity and the happiness of the motion and the music. And my little guy has got the gift of music. He pick, I look over and he picks up a little guitar and he's playing and he just hears and feels the music. But that the just the purity of the music and the motion is such a contagious happiness. Yeah. And and to see how far you've come and to see the adversity you've gone through and to see how you've triumphed and you've motivated so many other people. And now you got, you know, the world listening, you've got the world inspired, you've got the world dancing. Mm-hmm. And and that's because of your leadership. Aww. And well and I want I want to thank you for it. And and the final part of our show, Rosie, is the giving of the gifts. So that is another expression of our gratitude. Your team may not have prepared you for this, but I'll help you with this. It's a big bag for folks listening. I can even hold your mic if you want. It's got three phases. So first is the gear. So this merch here, we got, yep, all different colors, super comfortable, different sizes. And it's, uh, you can rock that if you go out to the clubs or wherever else. Very cute. Made in America by the color. veterans of Oscar Mike. Oh, wow. And, this one? and different colors, different sizes for you. Oh, my um, God. I love these. I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad. And then we've got, we got red, too. I got the red. You got like the, red. the red. You got all the colors. You can thank you. Thank rock you. them. Now, next, we've got um, this is another tradition of the show. And I'm going to pull them out. Now, Easter is coming, but this started, we're almost on our first anniversary. <laughs> and uh, this is a, the, the, kind of a Rorschach test of, of, our, of our guests, but we have three colors of peeps, okay. blue, pink, and yellow. Rosie Perez, which color would you choose and why? I would choose the yellow. Why do you like the yellow, Rosie? Because it probably would, it would be the one that less freaks me out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Just to be I honest. love the honesty. I love always the honesty. That's the like that. That's the great New Yorker. I got to ask you too because I didn't get to ask you this. Would you ever run for office? No. 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 There's a real opening for a mayor right now. Uh-huh. Would you? Uh, no. 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 I think there are a lot of people. There's talk. Andrew Yang might run. There's talk. Other people might run. No. I. I I'll say because. One, I love acting. Yeah. I love what I do. I love going to the fights. You know what I mean? I love my home life and I wouldn't want to give that up. And when you become a public servant on that level, you have to be completely selfless. Mm. You know, you can't, you know, there's no room for self-centeredness unless you're on the debate stage. Right, right, you know, right, then right. you got to go for, you know, go for the gusto. But 
outside of that, no, it, it, it takes too much. It, it becomes your entire life. Right. Um, you know, public service is very, very important to me. And, you know, and plus I still struggle with my temper. You know, I still, I still am in psychiatric therapy. Um, uh, you know, God bless America two times for that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. you know, and I, and there are times even when I've been on CNN where I've lost my cool, you know, and I look at myself and I just laugh. I go, oh, my God, you look so Brooklyn. You know, when yeah, my but, eyes are rolling, but my I head tell is you, you know swerving what? and I just it get means so you're, angry. You, you keep it real. And it's I so important it real, because but... I've been in those chairs. I've been on the shows and so many people aren't their, their true selves. Right. And right. you see them afterward. But you're your true self and you're not afraid to say what you think. And well, if you won't run for office in New York, I hope whoever the mayor is and whoever the next president is taps you to be involved because you're such a powerful voice. But I, until then, let me hold this for you. Okay. We've got to get through a couple more debates. So the final gift for you is this one here. I'll hand that to you, mm. and then I'll take the bag. So I'll help you with your mic. Um, but this is a la This is another tradition of the show. So we always pick champagne. something. It's not champagne, but <gasps> oh. it's. We always find an American whiskey. My husband is gonna love. Yeah. These. Well, there's a reason why I picked it too. So it's it's Widow Jane. Aged 10 years, but if you look on the back, it's distilled in Brooklyn. Oh, oh so right on. like the great that. Rosie Perez, it's it's distilled in Brooklyn and keeps getting better every year and has a truth and an honesty. So I thought I, I go to a liquor store every time and you know it's like it's a New York liquor store. So I come walking in, and I'm like, there's so many things. I try to find something that speaks to me. And this spoke to me for you, Rosie. Oh, so I hope yeah, you, you and so your husband much. will enjoy it at the next oh debate or for the next fight. Whatever big fight the that, debates that tonight. Is. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. It? Yeah. It's yeah. Tonight. Yeah. We're taping this on uh what day is it? Tuesday. It'll drop on Thursday. And uh I mean, would you if if if, if there was a debate on and a heavyweight fight at the same time, which one would you watch, Rosie? Heavyweight. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would I would record the debate and then watch it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I, I like watching and it I in love real the, time. The cool so. part about the fights is it's one of the few things that we all can share yeah. in the moment. In the moment. Right? Like it's it, there's only a couple things like disasters like hurricanes, um, some of these debates, and maybe some select like concerts and big moments. And then, you know, really big sporting events. It's kind of one of the only things we still share without waiting till later. We share it in that moment. Like, I didn't want to have to find out what happened in the fight afterward, right? Yeah. Like, to be in that moment with a group of people, there's something, there's a purity about being in a room with a bunch of people, some who you know, some who you may not know, and you're all watching and experiencing that same thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping that the, the heavyweight, uh, fight that is America and the future will have a better result for all of us than it did for Deontay Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to thank you again, Rosie, for your inspiration, for your leadership, for your tenacity. You're a role model oh, and you, you represent the best of what this city's about and the best of what this country's about. And especially for those of us that, that have children or young people or just going through a struggle, you, you are a tremendous role model and a great leader. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, and I just have to say, I just, I just want to press upon people to always help someone out because somebody helped me out and without even asking me to pay it forward. But I was so inspired by how much they gave to try to make my life better. Um, 
and even the I've had so many mentors in the activist game, you know, and they taught me so much. Even when I cursed out Giuliani, they pulled me aside and said, listen, <laughs> you do that now. You know? You're going to be at the front runner status in exactly, the Democratic Party. Exactly. But, uh, you know, um, just keep in mind, just that's that's why it pays to help people out and be kind to one another, because you that that helps move that wheel of justice ever so much forward, you know, just keep doing it. Cause it's like, I don't see myself as a leader yet. I still see myself as somebody still learning mm. how to fight the good mm. fight. So, mm. but thank well, you for having you me. are, you are a, a legend in the fight and you will continue. Your legend will continue to grow. And we are very, very grateful. Uh, Rosie Perez. Thank you so much for joining me on angry Americans, ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Rosie Perez, live from the Classic Car Club in Manhattan. Watch for Rosie next to a ring near you and on the Twitter sphere and everywhere else. She's a prize fighter that represents all the best of what America is all about. Thank you, folks.